0: Knock, knock! Hello and welcome back to the American Writers One Hundred Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will finish looking at Two Serious Ladies by Jane Bowles. This is part of my longer series that I am calling Twentieth Century Girls, where I'll be looking at where I'm looking at American writers, uh, female writers from the twentieth century, obviously. And um, all collected in the volumes of the Library of America. That's my main source for this entire podcast. So anyways, um, yeah, we just started looking into Jane Bulls. Again, this is going to be a very short series because Jane Bulls didn't write a whole lot of fiction that we can really sink our teeth into, unfortunately. But the stuff she wrote is quite interesting and and um, worthy of study, especially this book we're finishing up here, uh, Two Serious Ladies. Um, the first part of the novel, actually the first two parts, the first two chapters, if you will. It's only a three-chapter book, although she calls them parts. Mm -hmm. We're introduced to the two serious ladies. First, we're introduced to Christina Gehring, who is uh, from a rich family. She's a rich spinster who takes in basically a couple of friends who start living with her. One is uh, actually the cousin of her old governess named uh, Miss Gamlin, and then uh, a dude, a, just a dude who shows up named Arthur who she meets at a party. Uh, we finish their story or their story's put on a hiatus and we meet the second serious lady whose name is um, Frida Copperfield and we see her as she goes to Panama on an extended vacation with her husband and while there they, they kind of move apart and she begins a lesbian relationship with sex workers and she spends a lot of her time in kind of the gritty uh, underbelly of Cologne, and and falls in cre- you know falls in love with this woman named um, Pacifica, and so this these novels this novel is really about women kind of seeking freedom and seeking change in their their lives, but the way bulls presents this and I talked about this in the last episode the way she presents this is in a very matter of fact kind of non overtly political way. I think this is a big difference between her and Mary McCarthy, who both start writing at the same time. Mary McCarthy, much more overtly political, much more engaging in feminism, engaging in liberalism, engaging in uh, the radical left, um, much more looking at things dialectically, seeing women who really are given choices and between two different ways of life, uh, contradictions in their life and those things. And that makes those these themes much more articulated but uh, in Jane Bowles, the, especially in Two Serious Ladies, but I think it's true in her other fiction as well, it's presented much more impressionistically. It's, it's much more like music, I think, and I think it's not insignificant that she studied music and she was married to Paul Bowles, who was a composer, and I think that has some effect on how she presents these, these materials. She's not very interested in politics, actually. She's interested, though, in, in freedom and liberation for for people. And so we, we see now with Garing, she's not really attached to a man, so she doesn't have to really break free from that. But she does find her, her, her life kind of aimless and and she kind of needs something else and that's what she begins to search for. Copperfield though, who is in a marriage, has, has a little bit more of a of a rebellion against her husband, but her husband's not like fighting back for her. She they just basically go their separate ways, interested in different things while they're on this Extended Vacation in Panama. Um, overall, very, very interesting. Very, very powerful book in a lot of ways. And something I really do recommend people to pick up. I don't know if I'd recommend the whole volume. Unless you're really into Jane Bowles. Uh, again, she didn't write that much. So it all fits in one volume. And half of this volume are things I'm not even going to deal with with this series. Which are her her letters mostly to Paul Bowles. But to other people as well. Libby Hoffman. Um, who else? Or sorry, Libby Holman. is one she writes a lot. Um, yeah, but there I don't know how much to say about them. You know, we looked at letters before, like when we did Abraham Lincoln, and I'm sure we'll look at letters in the future, but those are, I mean, that's so central to his writing and and his presidency that you kind of have to look at his letters. I'm not sure about Jane Bowles. I mean, this will come up when I go into Flannery O'Connor at some point later in this series, her volume in the Library of America, much longer. Of course, she wrote much more fiction, also has a lot of her letters. So I'll I'll decide when I get there how to deal with it. But, you know, I'm not quite sure what to say about those those letters, although I have been kind of skimming through them a little bit. So anyways, uh, in the last episode, we looked at the first two parts, which introduces the two serious ladies and pretty much tells the whole story of Frida Copperfield. In the third part of the book, we pick up again with Miss Gearing and Gamlin and Arnold, who are now all living together, off the mainland on an island. Anyways, this section is really, really kind of bizarre. I mean, it's just, these people act in ways that don't seem normal, or maybe they are in Jane Bowles' world, but um, really, really weird stuff going on here. But the main plot of this part three, this third chapter of Two Serious Ladies is basically gearing uh, becoming a bit disillusioned with her life on this island. She's kind of actually constructed a bit of a family here with Gamlin and Arnold. And later on, Arnold's father shows up and starts hanging out with them. She kind of constructs a family, and she she, she starts to escape that by going to the mainland and start hanging out in seedy little bars and, and hanging out with, with different men, um, you know, working-class men. So, And I think in her case, there's a, like a class dimension that isn't there as clearly as in Copperfield's story, although they are more middle-class, upper-class, you know, Gehring really is elite. I mean, she's she's really rich. She, she's part of the leisure class. She doesn't have to work. She's this rich spinster. And and for her, she becomes attracted by this really working class um, underbelly of, of society, you know, back on the mainland and where she starts to, to travel more and more. And, you know, there's not much plot here. It, it's kind of like with the rest of the novel. It's just things happen. And these women have experiences that, kind of change them in in kind of ambiguous and unclear ways. But certainly the change is really, really easy to see. And it has something to do very much about freedom. Um, so anyways, as we pick up in part three, Gamlin, Gehring, and Arnold are all living together on this, it's a little bit more shabby place off the off the mainland. And and Arnold becomes more and more attached to this second home that he starts living there and he doesn't really have a sexual relationship with with Gary, he's just sort of a dude who hangs out with him, kind of like a roommate. And he starts to neglect his own work. He works for his father in real estate and and he just starts not caring about that anymore. And Gamlin, you know, who who kind of has this more contrarian view about things, you know, in this life, she's the one who's trying to warn her about she, she, for instance, warns her about Arnold and, and things, and she, she kind of wants her to do something more with her life, I think. But she kind of has a lot of complaints about Arnold because Arnold just sort of sits around, he hangs out, he starts getting even fat, and, and Jane Bowles makes a real point of describing how fat Arnold is getting over the course of his time staying in this, in this house. And Gamlin especially starts to resent Arnold, you know, you know just because he hangs around, he's just kind of a loser, who hangs around he doesn't even really do his job anymore. But Arnold wants to stay. He sees this as a way to escape his work, to escape his his life. Now, his escape, I think, parallels the escape of the two serious ladies in in, in an interesting way. Um, But he's trying to more overtly escape a life of drudgery. You know, when we first meet him, one of the first things he says is, I'm in real estate, but I don't like it. I'd want to do something else with my life. And that something else turns out to be nothing. It's you know, like that, the guy in office space who asked what would he do if he had all the money in the world and he said he would do nothing. Uh, that's kind of the person Arnold is and this is why Arnold's father really kind of thinks his son is a, a loser and, and complains about him all the time too. So Arnold, you know, Gary puts up with him and, and seems to kind of like him a little bit but at the same time the people around him kind of see him as a, as, as a slob and a, a lazy guy. Um, but that's just weird life they start living and this is a kind of a change from the life she lived on the mainland, basically as a rich spinster. So anyways, at this moment, Arnold's father shows up to kind of check up on Arnold, scolds him, and eventually he just starts hanging out with these people too, so it becomes like a, a foursome. It, it's almost quite humorous, I think, how you know, these people are just hanging around. Christina Guerin, who has all this money to kind of support all these all these bums who just sort of uh, move in with her move in with uh, move in with her so you know various little things happen conversations happen but you know Arnold and and Miss Gamlin who don't really like each other that much start to take up golf and there's discussions of sports discussions of you know you know, just kind of banal small talk is a lot of what what goes on here, and you kind of can feel that this is a kind of a dead end life for for Mrs. Garing, for actually everyone who's sort of there. It's it's sort of a dead end. Um, maybe it's kind of a symbolic of just of existence as as normal, right, in in mainstream society, because there is this countercultural thread in this novel where you have these two women really seeking something radically different from what they're they're used to, whether sexually or just in terms of Kind of the life like i think yeah what copperfield does is she goes from being a married woman to to being a lesbian over the course of the novel but uh christina gearing goes really from being upper class to kind of hanging out with the poor i mean the poorest of the poor uh in in dive bars essentially so it's after Mr. Arnold, Arnold's father—I mean, not Mr. Arnold—Arnold's father shows up, Mrs. Gary, and starts to make plans to return to the mainland. And and but instead of staying at the mainland, she starts to kind of ferry herself back and forth between the mainland and this this, this island in which she's living on. And we get a really nice description of her kind of first journey to back to the mainland. She gets on a taxi, um, or she gets—sorry, she gets on a train. And while on the train, she has a very, very odd encounter with a woman who starts to get offended at her asking questions, and I think this is, you start to see this um, kind of, you know, her learning to interact with people from a different class who don't really appreciate or understand her power, right? She's, she's kind of, most of what we know about her, she's kind of like a feudal lord almost, right, who has re- these retainers that, that hang out with her, and... When she goes to the mainland, when she goes to these bars, she's, she's more on equal footing with people, right? Her money, her status, her, her wealth doesn't take her as far in those, in those circumstances. So anyways, she basically at the, I think she has to take a train and then takes uh, the ferry across. And when she's there, she starts to look around for where to go. And she runs into some men and she asks essentially where you're going. And they say we're going to the pig snout hook, which is the name of like a roadhouse near the dock. Um and, and you know she goes there and it's there's black music being played there, there's African American performers, um, and it's it's really kind of seedy. In fact, one man tries to warn her and tells her, Don't go there, it's a very, very dangerous place. And while there, and, and she obviously goes, she goes to this pig pig's noun hook, and while she's there, she meets this this woman. Who, who's at the cabaret named Bernice and she starts to build up a little circle around herself at these, these um, you know, eventually the main guy she ends up hanging out with is a working class guy named Andy but anyways, one of the first people she meets is, is this woman named Bernice and she sort of explains why people get attracted to this, this cabaret um, I don't know, I get the sense of more like a roadhouse but it's described as a cabaret in the, in the novel all right. Quote, many people come into this place or some other place every night for years and years without doing much, but having a drink and talking to each other. It is only because it is like home to them. And we come here only because it is a little by little becoming a home to us. A second home, if you can call our little group a home. It is to me, I love it very much. And quote. And uh, so Bernice is kind of, you know, this is something... is searching for. She had her home initially. She goes to this island where they're renting this place with this group. She kind of constructs this new family made up of these people who are just hanging out. And now she's sort of got to this third home, which are these dive bars she starts starts going to. Um, And she does, and I I said before that um, Jane Bowles isn't very political in her writing. I don't think she is at all, but we do see in this section of the novel some political discussions but it's the politics of the bar goers that's uh, more interesting to jane Bowles than the politics of our of our protagonist right so obviously in a working-class bar at this time in the 40s you're going to get a lot of of leftist politics and union talk and, and, and socialism and leftism and things like that uh you know it's a very different kind of leftism than what we experienced when we read the mary mccarthy novels because that was always a kind of elitist bourgeois uh, attraction to the left and intellectual attraction to the left what you have in two serious ladies at least in this section is a little bit of a window into the working class left i don't know how well jane bulls knows this but she i think some of this must be drawn from from life so it's bernice and dick who are both kind of leftist and she's curious about it and she asked about it and bernice said this like I'm interested in anything he's interested in, but it is true that I believe the political struggle was very important before I made him, met him. You see, I have, a very different, I have a very different nature than he has. What makes me happy, I seem to catch out of the sky with both hands. I can only hold on to whatever it is I love because that is all I can really see. The world interferes with me in my happiness, but I never interfere with the world except now, since that I am with Dick. And then Dick jumps in. It makes me sad to hear you talk this way. You as a leftist know perfectly well that before we fight for our own happiness, we must fight for something else. We are living in a period where personal happiness means very little because the individual has a few moments left. It is wise to destroy yourself first, at least to keep only that part of you which can be of use to the big group of people. If you don't do this, you lose sight of the objective reality and so forth and you fall plunk into the middle of a mysticism, which right now would be a waste of time. And then Bernice says, You are right, Darlene Dickey, but sometimes I would love to be waited on in a beautiful room. Sometimes I wish it would be nice to be the bourgeoisie. I am such a human person. Even though I am poor, I will miss some things that they do because sometimes at night, the fact that they are sleeping in their homes with security instead of making me angry fills me with a peace like a child who is scared at night, likes to hear grown people talking down the street. End quote. So it's, what's going on here, I think, this is kind of a summation of the theme of the novel in a way. Dick is representing conventional society, which is saying, even though he's from the left, it's more of a symbol for conventional society, saying your own happiness has to be set aside for the happiness of others. For Copperfield, it's her husband and her family. For Garing, it's, it's maybe Gamlin or Arnold, who she's trying to make happy through this life they're sort of living together. And both these women then pursue autonomy so bernice saying like i want to live for myself first i don't want to just be political i don't want to just live for some future you know fight for some struggle that may or may not benefit me or may come years later i want happiness now and security now and, and dick doesn't really respect this but i think this is garing's struggle is to try to find happiness now and immediately and it's certainly what copperfield mrs copperfield see in panama So I think this section is on page 122 and 123 of the Library of America version of this book, but it really, I think, gets as close as we get to a clear expression of what Jane Bowles is is trying to do. I mean, mostly it's presented just through the story of these women, but this is a a more clear kind of dialectical discussion of, of what she's after. So after talking with them, she eventually meets this working-class guy named Andy, who she goes to his house with. It very much parallels her going to Arthur's house earlier on, but it's a very, very different kind of house. It's not so middle-class. It's a working-class house. It's it's um, kind, of, kind of gritty and dirty. Um, but she goes there. She's very willing to do this, apparently, go home with men. But she doesn't sleep with them at first. Um, so she hears his story, while she is there so they get along we get a lot of Andy's background story which I won't go through point by point but it's all kind of given to him and she listens to him but she never she doesn't sleep with him at this point and and but she just sort of spends the night there and then the next day she returns and and um, Arnold said you know says he wants to go the next time to these places and I think Gary doesn't really want to bring Arnold along with her to these different, these CD bars as she starts attending she wants that as kind of her own thing but arnold he's kind of a he's just a hanger on he's just someone who's gonna hang on no matter what you want to do he just wants to do something whether it's golf or live on this island he just doesn't want to work right and he he doesn't have an original thought of his own pretty much in the entire book he's just he's just the the typical kind of bum who's just hanging out i don't know if you ever had someone like this in your life but um he's he's that kind of figure um, but Garing eventually goes more and more to these, to the mainland, to the docks, to these seedy bars, and eventually she, she basically moves in with, with Andy. And this starts to lead to Andy thinking of himself in a new way. He starts to respect himself more, he becomes more assertive, he becomes more entrepreneurial, he gets more ideas, and, and you know, Gehring, somehow her presence there did something to him. But also, Garing starts to, when he changes, and I think, what are positive ways, Gary starts to lose interest in him. And, you know, like this is what Jane Bowles writes. She was fond of Andy, but during the last two nights she had felt an urge to leave him. This was as much due to the fact that an unfamiliar person had begun to frequent the bar. Um, this newcomer was almost a mass, mammoth pr- proportion. So this newcomer comes in, which also has an effect of it. But I think under the surface, there's this change in Andy, which... Which leads to Garin kind of losing interest, and and it's, you know, it, I think what Andy changes in ways that Arnold doesn't change. Arnold just kind of stays a bum throughout, but Andy some, some, somehow moves out of this and becomes a more assertive person. Um, but Garin is very fickle here, and she's she's seeking something that that Andy can't give her, especially after this this change. But eventually, Andy gets involved with his business deal with these kind of suspicious people, I think Bellamy S- S- Slagendal and I, I can't read my handwriting here, just these three business people, basically sort of gangster types. And he starts getting involved in this business deal with them. Um, but then she, you know, we're getting to the end of the novel now, so there's not much time for Jane Bulls to kind of finish up what she wants to do here. And we kind of refocus then back on this this little community she's developed on this island, Arnold, Arnold's father, and Gamlin. And basically Arnold's father gets bored and he wants to return back to his his work and the same way part two ends with a letter in that case it was a letter but from Mr. Copperfield to his wife basically warning her not to be too much in the aesthetic realm not to just pursue aesthetic happiness but for something more authentic and she rejects that staying with Pacifica right this you know and I, I think both these characters are are choosing the aesthetic over over some kind of the moral principle um, but we also get a letter, in this case, from Arnold to Christina. Uh, and I'll read this. because I read the other one, so I'll read this one, and then we can think about what it's trying to say. Quote, I've told Father to explain to you the reasons for our recent change of domicile. I hope he has done so and that you're satisfied that we have not behaved rationally nor in a manner that you might cons- conclude was inconsiderate. Lucy wants you to send her a check to the present address. Father was supposed to tell you, so but I thought it perhaps that perhaps you might forget. Lucy, I'm afraid, has been very upset by her present escapades. She is constantly in either a surly or melancholy mood. I had hoped that this condition would ameliorate after we had moved, but she is still subject to long silences and often weeps at night. Not to mention the fact that she is exceedingly cranky and has twice had to set had had a set to with a deal, although we have only been here for two days. I see in all this that Lucy's nature is really one of extreme delicateness and morbidity, and I'm fascinated to be by her side. Adele, on the other hand, has a very equable nature, and she is a terrible intellectual and very much interested in every branch of art. We are thinking of starting a magazine together when we're more or less settled. She's a pretty blonde girl. I miss you terribly, my dear, and I want you to please believe that if I could only somehow reach what was inside of me, I would break out of this terrible cocoon I'm in. I expect to someday really really i will always remember the story you told me when we first met in which i always felt was buried in some some strange significance although i must admit to you now that i could not explain what i must go and take bubbles and hot tea to her room now please please believe in me loves and kisses arnold um so that's the letter she gets from from arnold who's gone off with mrs gamlin and actually he's kind of broke free a little bit at the end there has some actual plans for the future, too. So it's interesting to me that Garing seems to have this influence on men to encourage them to do something more with their life, although with Arnold it took quite a while to get there. So Miss Garing, then, she continues to kind of get involved in this CD underbelly. She starts working with this guy named Ben on, on some kind of business deals. And then she realizes, or she remembers, that Mr. Copperfield is back from Panama, and they meet up. And Mrs. Copperfield is still with Pacifica, still with her, her lover. And they're both changed in various ways. I think Mrs. Copperfield definitely has kind of thrown off the patriarchal um, baggage. Um, Gary, on the other hand, has, has become a little bit more active in the world, I think. And I think that's her biggest change. And, but both of them are more like in a in a more liquid state than they started the novel right and that's there's some association between the freedom that they're seeking and a little bit more more a liquid life well uh, you know kind of just more freedom right that's there's there's kind of this you know i don't know if liquidity always leads to to freedom i think we need some kind of solidity in our life but if that solidity is oppressive right then just the very act of breaking free of that Provides some freedom, but it also provides a lot of opportunities. So we really don't know where these characters are going to end up. It's kind of open-ended for them. They both have um, their whole lives ahead of them, and they both have a future that's that's essentially unwritten, but they're in a much more liberated position to pursue that. And at least that's how I'm I'm sort of reading this this novel. So um, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about uh, two serious ladies, except in the you know in a future episode, I'm gonna to have to go and look at Guatemalan Idol, which was a chapter that was taken out of this. Um, and I think there's some sections that were taken out or rewritten or something that are also included in this this volume. So um, we'll do that in the future. But basically, this novel is stands alone. And you don't have to read other stuff if you don't want to. And I think this is a worthwhile novel to to pick up and check out at least once in your life. It's maybe not going to be for everyone. It's it's it is weird. It is kind of a baffling novel when you first read it. But it, I think I think its themes are quite clear, even if they're a little hard to grasp um, at times and articulate very clearly. You you feel them. It's that's why I do think talking about this in terms of music is right because it's it's you 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 grok it <laughs> you sort of get it intuitively even if it if it's hard to articulate and i'm struggling a little bit toward to articulate exactly what she's trying to say but it's something you really feel as you as you as you read it so yeah just it's also just a good for giving us a window into a kind of like this this uh you know this kind of You have characters, middle class, rich, who live a certain kind of life, and they get exposed to a much more working class environment. Um, Whether it's the prostitutes in the red light districts in Panama, or these dockside bars and taverns that Miss Garing goes to, it kind of gives you a different, they they find this liberty by kind of entering into an unfamiliar territory, right? I think that's an uh, important message. Um, but overall, I, I enjoyed this novel very much, and I look forward to, to doing my best to talk about some more of, of Jane Bowles' works. Uh, so in the next episode, I will read her, I'll, I'll, or I'll talk about her play, In the Summer House. It's her only play that she published. I couldn't find any performances of it. You know, like, you know, I know sometimes on YouTube you can find performances of different plays. Um, you know, because plays are meant to be watched, right? They're not really meant to be read. Some people do read them, you know, obviously, but, uh, you know, I like to see, you know, in the same way I like audiobooks, I like to see plays performed, but I couldn't find one. And apparently it was not well received at the time, and it was, it had a revival, but, you know, I can't find, I don't think it's a very popular or well known play. Then we have a bunch of her stories, and, Uh, One of these will be Guatemalan Idol, which is kind of connected to to, um, two serious ladies. Uh, The Day in the Open and Plain Pleasures and A quarreling Pair, which also is kind of like a little puppet play. So those are the stories I'll be looking at in the next episode. And that will take us... Then I'll have one more episode after that where we'll look at some more of her short fiction. And that will, that will be all of all of that, that Jane Bowles wrote. And that will be the end of that, this little series. So anyways, if you read Two Series Ladies, let me know what you think. Um, I find it interesting but baffling and, and a little bit hard to talk about. So maybe if you can inspire me, give me some ideas about how to better talk about this novel, let me know. You can send me an email at 100 at gmail.com. Or you just um, can leave a comment below. Uh, so I'll see you next time with with uh some more some some of uh Jane Bulls' short fiction including her one published play and oh, then uh, next time so oh, thanks birthday for, birthday for picnic basket, I went to a